Tom. I'm Richard. I'm Rob. And welcome to the Goodies Pirate Podcast. Episode 22, we're starting season 3 here, with The New Office, sometimes also known as Monster Machines or also Moving Day. First broadcast on Sunday the 4th of February 1973 at 10.05pm. Rob, it's good to have you back after your adventures the last few weeks. Thank you for having me back. No, our pleasure. Gentlemen, we'll get straight into it, The New Office. What did we think? Tom, we'll start with you. Watching this episode for the first time in a long time, and I used to love this episode when I was younger. It was there, always got repeated on the ABC, and I watch it now and I'm thinking, you know, I didn't think as highly of it as I did back then. It had some dead spots in it for me. But, yeah, it changed the look of the goodies to, I suppose, the iconic office set that they had so yeah okay Richard much the same I was one I really liked when I was younger because there's a lot of slapstick stuff in it yeah um, and a lot of very visual gags and that sort of thing so I must admit when I was young I really really liked it watching it now yeah look I probably it's probably gone down a little in my estimation I actually still think it's a reasonably solid episode and a good start to the season I think probably I got more out of the second half perhaps than the first I think a lot of that's due to the sequence where they're fighting the machines, which which is whatever you think of the rest of the episodes, that is that is a fantastically well done sequence. Rob, well, like the other chaps, for me this is almost quintessential goodies. It seemed to have been on high rotation. Yes. Uh, in the seventies, uh, at a great at a great level. G- going back to it, I got unlike Richard, I got more out of the first half than I did out of the second half, which I suppose is not surprising when you're a child. That sort of action provides more iconic imagery than the first half but uh, like Richard I thought it was okay I thought it was um, it, it's not as good as what, when you're a child but particularly the first half I, I really enjoyed and the second half was a bit of a letdown but that's just the way it is okay I think you might be on your own <laughs> <laughs> let's go look if you were to do an objective assessment as to what is the weakest episode of the goodies so far I can see it probably wouldn't be this one but if you were to go for the dead poet society way of assessing stuff and just go for what you feel I feel that this is my absolute least favourite episode so far to date. I really really struggle with this one. I think that it is not a very good goodies episode either in terms of quality or either in t- also in terms of style it's, it's not a goodies episode, it's a collection of, in my opinion very ordinary, very loosely connected skits where the goodies don't just look a bit daft or a bit loony, but actually look stupid. I think that there's a lot of jokes that are continually overplayed. You get there, the joke that building workers are very lazy. Yep, okay, that's not a bad little one-line joke. They make it a five-minute ongoing gag. The, ga- the idea that real estate agents are a bit greedy becomes another five or six-minute sequence with a really obvious gag that isn't actually that funny. And in both cases, for the goodies both to be sitting outside waiting for the builders for six months while the cassette recorder's playing, for them to you know, give away tens of thousands of pounds on a property that's clearly where they're being to see. They just look stupid. I didn't find the sketches funny. I found them unconnected. I found the goodies out of character. I found the final montage boring. 
I didn't enjoy this episode very much. Okay, now it's time for a walk in the Black Forest. <laughs> Guys, let's go through this and convince me that I'm... Well, I go, look, okay. Do, do you at least appreciate where I'm coming from in that assessment? Yes, I, I would agree. I think the bit at the start where they're sitting there outside for six months, had it been a couple of weeks, that might have been better. And they're, they're basically sitting there for six months listening to a tape recording. Yeah, look, that was a bit silly. But if... We're talking about a comedy show that doesn't really care about continuity or anything like that. Isn't what's the difference between six months, two months, three weeks, five no, months? No, and I mean, look, it gives them some jokes. I mean, look, they run out of food. I mean, they're down to their last bean. I actually thought the dude playing the builder was quite good, uh-huh. um, Joe Millier. Yes. Um, well, well, let's let's talk about him because he's actually quite a well-known face for that period. Oh yes. One of his probably biggest genre credits would be in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Mr. Prosser. Yep. Uh, he was also in Oh What a Lovely War. Mm-hmm. He was in a few not only but also's. So actually had quite a serious career around that time. Not a lot after Hitchhiker. So once the 80s came, he's another one that I think sort of... Well, he, he did turn up in A Very Peculiar Practice in the first season. Oh, okay. He was uh, Ron Rust. So he's, he's in this episode, he plays two characters. And I don't know whether... They're the same character. Well, yeah. I, see, again, that just didn't work for me. See, it's, it's interesting because looking at Andrew Pixley's book, and I'll give it yet another plug... It's a great book. If you don't own it, go and buy it. You can get it on Lulu. You don't even have to pay international shipping. It actually said the camera script apparently says, no, they weren't meant to be the same character, but it's obviously something they decided when filming. Okay, yeah. Because he goes, he, he makes the line and goes, that's right, I'm not the builder. Yeah. You know, he just goes straight into it, that. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's sort it's of like... It's really weird, and, and, and that makes sense given what you just said, Richard, because I found that really great. I thought... It's Joe Melia, isn't it? Yes. yes. I thought his performance was... As good, if not better, than the fellow who plays Nasty Person. Wow. Now, I know that that is... Ooh, that's I, a big call. I, I just... I, if his role is to make me laugh or chuckle or whatever, he did it really well, and I think he did it better than a lot of uh, guest actors to date. I mean, we've had Joan Sims, uh, look, a whole host of people who've come through, and really, it. I've found his character, or the two characters he's played... Uh, one of the two most amusing. Which shows how subjective comedy is, because yes. I, I thought he was yeah. over the top. Um, it's funny, so I thought he was really good as the builder. I actually really enjoyed him as the builder. I probably didn't get quite as much out of him as the estate agent. Well, but anyone who ends his appearance by yelling out, Miss Lushbuzzy, the south of France begins, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, always gets a vote, a vote from me. I, I did think his, his uh, hand gestures and his cackling in the office was uh, you know, a bridge too far for me. But otherwise, I thought he was really good. Hmm. I, and uh, I'm almost the opposite I didn't care much for the builder but I actually enjoyed him as the estate agent more because I took it down the path that he was the same character or the same person just dual Mm. uh, identities from that and just the whole segment around that estate agent was uh, better it's it's interesting Dave that you object to this episode because you regard it and fair enough you regard it as a, a loosely linked series of different sketches but would you agree that the, that is the goodies? That is the goodies raison d'etre that it is a lot of the time, at least in this early period, a series of loosely linked sketches? Yes, but I think that this is an occasion where it doesn't work as well. Okay. And and it falls down because they... I, I think that the at the risk of quoting the castle, there's something about the vibe of this that just doesn't resonate for me and just doesn't carry across the whole episode. <laughs> okay. And it's interesting because, like the others, this is the... You could almost say that this is like a second launching, a relaunch for the series. Mm. In a way, as as Tom said, this is the iconic office. 
this is the iconic look for the show, and yet you know some of, we 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 like it and it falls down a little bit for you, which is fair enough. And but even even talking about you guys, there are different things that you each like, so mm. it seems to be a really interesting episode in that sense. Mm. So we'll explore a bit more. They've obviously got the stuff outside. They go in to see the builder. Now here we have one of the most famous dubs in Australian <laughs> goodies history. Yes. <laughs> because the moment where the builder says to him get stuffed was overdubbed in Australia, not by anybody who sounded remotely like the builder itself, but in a very heavy, deep Aussie accent, <laughs> they dubbed over get lost. <laughs> and it was so Yes. Harsh. Yeah, it was just so ridiculously overt. Did that make it to the DVD box set by any chance? Uh, no, it's got the original uh, okay. No, okay. it's got the original get stuffed on it. Yeah, but interesting that in nineteen seventy three or seventy four, whenever it came out to Australia, get stuffed did need to be badly overdone. Well, I remember being in school and, and, and either myself, I can't remember, or someone else being admonished for saying something similar to that, you know, mm. get stuffed, or even just saying shut up was, was regarded as being... Wow. So it was the 70s, folks. Well, I mean, the senses, I mean, you weren't <laughs> even allowed to say I'm knackered uh, well, here in true. Australia, actually, at that point. That was, that was mm. verboten on television as well. So the builders obviously haven't done any work, and there's a lot of, well, I think there's a joke about building, but they, they do variations on that theme about... Builders not doing work and upsetting the builders and there's empty mugs of tea all through it. You guys are meant to be defending this and telling me I'm wrong. Tell me how that worked for you. As I said, the builders wasn't my favourite part of the episode. I, I preferred the estate, the, agent. the estate agent segment of at the first part and the latter part of, of the uh, episode. I, I've, I've found it amusing, partly because of Joe Melia's performance, but also you've got these three effectively middle-class characters absolutely terrified of the working class and they're almost tugging the fall well, well Bill Bill wants to hit him yes. and then Tim says no leave it to me I know how to talk to workers <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he goes excuse me my good man <laughs> get stuffed because <laughs> he backs right off lost <laughs> and I, I I found that amusing because when I'm, whenever I'm around tradesmen I feel my own personal inadequacies you know manifest and it, look <laughs> So I, I found it, I found that section uh, segment amusing, and again, Joe Melia's performance, uh, just sort of the overbearing workman who knows who knows best and is prepared to intimidate the, the people who are actually paying the bill. You know, you'll get you'll get what you're given, yeah. and that's supposed to be good enough for you. Yeah, I, I thought that was quite fun. I mean, then they go around, they obviously smash the setup, which I guess you can say is symbolic, maybe a bit that this is the new goodies being yeah. being born. Though, with Kit and Kong, they did that partially with the with the rats. Yes, they did. They did that. So yeah. Anyway. Yes, they did. Maybe they're different walls, perhaps. Different wobbly, um, different wobbly walls. They decide they need a new office, and they obviously then go to the estate agents. Now, of course, they're all dressed up. Graham is, you know, sort of the poor man. <laughs> Tim is his wife. Tim is his wife, and Bill is the baby. Yeah. And then, of course, they turn on the Hearts and Flowers music and give the sob story about yes. having no home, never having had no home. That's actually a very good sequence, that. Yeah, yeah. Where they're sort of counterpointing to what Graham is saying. Thought I was out in the snow. Of course, they rip snow out of the pockets. <laughs> I, I will say, you, you can hear when when uh, Tim and Bill come on stage, you can hear the audience. The audience is clearly finds that really amusing. So it just goes to show what people find funny: a man dressed as a woman and a man dressed as a baby. Yeah, you know, and you hear them offset. Obviously, yes. I don't want to come on, and then you get the before the, before you see them on screen, mm. you get the laugh where the audience sees them, mm. and then on they come. Off but the camera, yeah. Then, then, of course, there's, there's the off-colour joke about the dog kennel, but... Uh, 
Yes, we'll, we'll explore that, I suspect, about what they couldn't get away yes. with. Look, this, this, this again has that interesting device whereby when they need tens of thousands of pounds, Bill just happens to have it. Oh, yes, 99,999 pounds and 78.5p. Yes. <laughs> and, and look, there are the jokes about how expensive land is and how expensive property is. Which, which I guess, uh, being here in Australia, and of course, there's a lot of stuff now about home ownership and, and land prices and housing prices, it's probably actually remarkably prescient. It probably is quite prescient to, to what it is, but it, it does, uh, probably maybe some of the things that get on David's code about this is that it goes, if they had 100,000 pounds, what are they worried about anything else for? It, it was the throwaway line of, here's your piece of land for that. But yes. that yep. was, it was hilarious mm. for me because it was part of that real estate agent bit. So. <laughs> yeah, so then they, of course, hit upon the idea of the disused railway station, which was a thing really in the late 60s and early 70s because of the, the beaching reforms or the beaching acts, I think they called it. Well, Mr. Beeching was, uh, or Dr. Beeching, I think he's generally referred to as, he was a chap who was brought in as a consultant to British Rail to make the system profitable again. And he proposed a series of reforms which basically involves closing duplicated pieces of track, closing down a lot of railway stations, laying off a heap of railway workers, those sort of things. And there were like several hundred, I think, railway stations closed in Britain. Uh, sort of in the late 60s and early 70s. Let me build you a brand spanking new distribution railway railway station. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Having said that, the fact that they actually have the budget to go out and build them a what is essentially a house, Mm, um, yes, and it's mounted on a truck so it can drive along behind the goodies, shows really the faith the BBC clearly had in the series that they're prepared to spend that sort of money and time on it. Mm. They just did things really cheaply. Well, maybe, look, maybe it was a leftover from something else, but... Even so, the as you say, the faith that's been put into this episode, I mean, a lot of money's been spent on this episode, mm. and certainly time. I guess we'll talk about this more as we get into the final act, but just in terms of the time that that would have taken to put together that final sequence for a 30-minute sitcom, an incredible amount of time. Oh, I think so. Before they do that, there's the sequence where they go out and they actually build the disused railway station. Yes. Uh, which... Probably what we were talking about earlier as a kid, I thought that was really, really funny because it's very mm. visual. There's a lot of very obvious sight gags in it. And look, my son was watching this with me the other night. They do the plank joke. Yes. And I must admit, look, he thought the plank joke was hilarious. Mm. So, and, so, so some comedy is timeless. Well, I mean, that, that plank joke is not new. It's not restricted to the goodies. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I thought that... And look, I still thought that was a really well done sequence. I, I think OH&S might have had a... Uh, had a few concerns about it, but I'm uh, at this point. I'm beginning to wonder whether the OB sequences are something that they maybe should have got rid of because oh, I found this one particularly a little bit laboured. It just uh, they're sort of the same same sort of, of of jokes being sort of brought in again and again. Again, but as a kid and going back to that to that last segment, all the stop motion and everything else, it's dinosaurs, it's dinosaurs, man. You know, yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, and, and it's that, and that's you know certainly what I liked as a, as a young and. As we get towards the final sequence, which we'll no doubt talk about in a bit more detail, we have one very important point, which is, of course, if you look closely, Tim is sitting at his desk, and he has the silver rose yes. that they won for the Kitten Kong special, and he's painting it gold. Yes. yes. <laughs> well, I suppose there's the whole sequence where they go in, and, of course, we see the new office. We go in, and there's Tim's bit, and Graham's den, and Bill's bit, complete with Tony Blackburn punching, punching bag. bag. <laughs> and um, topless lady on a motorbike. Yes. yes. Yeah, that, that I must admit was one joke 
didn't really land for me. Bill puts his picture up. Tim obviously puts up a picture of the Queen of Strider motorcycle. The Bell with Graham doesn't really land because you can't actually see what the hell it is until it's, he says it's Einstein. Einstein, yeah, on the just his face yeah. on so, top of the same motorcycle. Yeah, mm. it didn't, didn't work. Yeah, that, that I found for me didn't really land. There is a bit there actually where Bill, because he says he got the throne at the Balmoral Jumble Sale, and then a bit later on he pulls out the Prince Charles with the fold out here, and you can see Bill very trying hard, very hard not to corpse. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, we get to... The final sequence with the machines. Yes. I, I certainly, and you, you said this, Tom, I certainly have very deep impressions of this from being a kid. Made a huge impression on me as a kid, and I fully respect that. I'm not a kid now. I found it very obvious. It was a bit harder to, to, to go sit through it this time. And again, you know, it is that relationship that, you know, they acted like dinosaurs and yeah. all parts that bring back and evoke those memories. I, I can appreciate the technical achievement of what it is. Mm. Well, that, that was what stood out for me watching it the other night. That is a remarkably well-done sequence. Yeah. And the amount of time and effort that's gone into that game probably shows really where the BBC are at with the show, they're, that they're prepared to invest that sort of filming time. Mm. Yeah, and I guess this is part of my problem. I can sit there for five or six minutes during the sequence and go, this is a very cleverly well-done, put-together skit, but I'm not laughing. Is it... Is it placed at the in the at the wrong point in the episode? Because it's it basically it's the last chunk of the episode, isn't it? It is, and there really isn't an ending because they send the things over the cliff and then they just sort of shake hands and walk off. Mm. We've talked in previous episodes about sort of having a joke for the sake of having a joke at the end of the episode. Mm. This this one isn't. They they sort of destroy the machines and, and that's it. Mm. Oh, I I just want to say two things about yeah. the end sequence. I think it's a, again it's a good showcase for Graham's physical comedy as the Matador. I mean anyone else might not necessarily have held up the two stabbing the swords I suppose yep. and done that and the other thing uh, if you uh, want to mix your Stephen King and your goodies this sequence reminded me very much of a short story Stephen King wrote called Trucks which was printed in uh, June 1973 in a, mag- a men's magazine called Cavalier Magazine which involves machinery coming to life and destroying humanity and I also want to say that I, I thought that this is the first script of the season and if you regard the last bit as being a failure it's odd that the script basically runs out of steam and it's only the first one they've written. And, and that's something that really occurred to me when I was doing my notes for this and I realised just how much it wasn't working for me. It did occur to me that this was the first one in the season, so I don't know whether it's a case of them running out of energy or it's just a case of them doing something that's a little bit different mm. and it's landed for some people and hasn't landed for others. Yeah. Well, it's, it, this is maybe a discussion for later in the season, but uh, they overall, at the end of season three, look back at it as one they weren't, uh, as a season as a whole, they weren't particularly happy with. And I think Tim even made the point that if they hadn't already been commissioned to do season four, which was filmed actually as the second half of season three, but we can come to that later, they may well have actually walked away from the goodies at that point. Which is interesting because there's a lot of episodes coming up that I really quite like, but mm. as you say, we'll have those discussions coming up. We need to move to our regular segments. Before that, though, any final thoughts on the episode as a whole? Have no. we swayed you? Look, I think I, I can appreciate it, but at the end of the day, it didn't make me laugh. And that's a purely subjective assessment. We'll move on to our regular segments then. So, ads, we have two this week. We do. We have another Beans. Yes, now they've changed the name here because in the previous season, it was Beans Means Heans. And now it's Heens Means Beans. Now, 
Beans means Heinz actually was a slogan that Heinz used, and I do remember it being used here in Australia. So I'm actually wondering whether they've sort of been told that's too close to too close to reality. Perhaps could be. And the other ad we have is, is the petrol stars offer, which is obviously a send up of the ad by the petrol, and you get the coin or you get the stamp or you get whatever. The playing card. Yes, be, yeah. and and in this instance, you actually get the real players. Mm. That, that first one, I thought it was very, very obvious where they were going with that, so I was pretty ho-hum. The second one, I, I mean, it's only enjoyable for the relish with which Tim goes through the list of food that he, he wants to eat, so... So that's the kiddie violence again for you, isn't oh, it? I mean, that, <laughs> uh, as, a, as a father of two young daughters, uh, for some reason I find this amusing, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, look, I will, I will always enjoy a good beans, 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 Ed. Mm. Or yeah. beans, beans, Yes. Okay, tropes and firsts. Well, new there's, office. It's a new office. A new office. Yes. Very new office. There's obviously, we get a patriotic speech from Tim. Yep. And he obviously still sees himself really as the leader of the goodies. Yes. And, and indeed, yes, as we said earlier, he, he knows how to talk to workers. <laughs> and uh, Bill's still on the lemon sherbet, by the looks yes, of Yes, he is at the, start of the, uh, at the start of the season. And we get, I think, now our third take on the hearts and flowers. Yeah, yes. that would be right. So yes. this is now almost competing with Land of Hope and Glory as a regular... Uh, trope which is really getting in there now what couldn't they get away with today <laughs> all right well i guess the obvious one is the dog kennel joke I, I think the thing that got me with that it's a it's a bad joke and then tim makes it worse by saying oh you know you wouldn't put a poodle through that yeah that again we occasionally talk about ones that are a political correctness has sort of put these jokes out of favor this one i think is just a wrong joke even at the time. Even at the time. Mm. It was a little bit off, I think. Mm. Probably the other one I had, and it's not really what... Well, it is a what you couldn't do now. I, I think OH&S would have an absolute field day with this episode if you filmed that now. As it is, I mean, I'm sure there is yeah. all sorts of wonderful tricks in that. I'm, I'm sure there is. It'll be tricks that would get, get through there. And the other thing that I found that you couldn't uh, do today was Bill's reaction to the topless poster. Core blimey, hey, look at her, juicy hay. I, I have worked in farm sheds uh, around this great state in the 70s and 80s, and there were lots of topless calendars there. Oh, what are the banks in the 80s? Oh, goodness. And uh, no, you yeah. couldn't do that now. I, you I could not do that now. Uh, the other minor point that I had is that these days you wouldn't have your heroes owning an elephant's foot. No. It's a minor thing, but it just wouldn't happen these days. No, no, no probably not. Well, gentlemen, I think we're t- due now for our favourite gags. My bean, my bean, you've burnt my bean. <laughs> I actually love that one. Tim's line reading was just just the right note of hysteria in his voice. Uh, I just like the real estate agent section of it, so it was pretty much all of it. Joe Melia hit the right notes. I'll say my son really liked the slapstick stuff building the house. My actual favourite bit, I think, was probably the bit where they first hear the machine and Tim gives them a lecture about not appreciating the sounds of the country and it's sort of, it's not a cow, is it? (laughs) (laughs) Plus where he does his patriotic speech and stirs Graham and Bill out the door and then, of course, goes up and shuts it behind them. (laughs) That was actually mine. Um, Tim doing the speech and then pushing them out the door and shutting it behind them. That was my... Not just my favourite gag, my one gag. (laughs) Oh! Not, not even come Mish Lust Boozy, this is how the price awaits. No, I found that just a little bit dated, to be honest. Running um, away with the secretary? Yeah, look, yeah. So, gentlemen, we've decided that at the start of every series we'll have a look, little look back at where the goodies are at this point. So, season three has started. Where are they? 
in a new office. In a new office. In a brand new office. In their own personal careers, they've got a single out. They've got comics started in core. Yeah, that's one we should mention, actually. And I think, again, it feeds into the idea that clearly they're now really entering the national consciousness mm. because, again, they've been picked up by the core magazine for, for a run of comics. And that, that wasn't a one-off. That went for 50 to... went for basically a full one year, year of issues. All of 1973. Yep. What really has sort of stood out for me, when we look back at season one, we talked about how there was a very formulaic system. A guest actor would come in, hire them, and they'll do something. And there were variations on that, different tones, stuff like Cecily, for example, was a very strange tone. But then with Pirate Radio Goodies, we said that's real. they sort of open up, they've really found the characters, they land and they hit. Season two, they then start to really mix it up a lot more. They start to be a lot more free and independent. They start to do things because they want to do it. But there's good and there's bad in there. And I don't think they've quite really found their perfect niche. I reckon season three is going to be where they just become very relaxed with what they do. And I think there's actually a lot of them just delivering good, solid episodes. So this, this is the start of the goodies as we know it? I, I actually think so. And you know, look, we've made some jokes about me not liking this episode. Well, you know, that's fine. But I think you are right in that the physical getting the new office and setting up with, as you pointed out, Richard, the three sort of dens, mm-hmm. the three areas, is the moment where they really lock down the three characters. They lock down the tone, they lock down the style. And I don't think they look back from here. No, actually, the characters, just the point on the characters being settled, that was one of the notes I had that really I think they're now very much. I mean, Tim, you can sort of, he's patriotic, he's conservative, he's slightly effete, he's upper class, and fundamentally he's a coward. Yes. That's him. Graham is obviously the loony inventor, he's the clever one. And, and whatever and Bill is, is sort of now he's, he's scruffy he's violent he's working class he's mm. randy basically he's a lefty he's anti-establishment and, but you've also got that sense of Graham being somewhat amoral as needed and Bill although he is violent and sexist in inverted commas a scruffy working class way and I stress that's mm. in inverted commas he's also the environmentalist he's also the one who wants to eat fresh food yes there, there, there's a sense of I think you can say a sense of his natural character coming through. And perhaps more than any of the others, for the first two series, Bill was playing a character that wasn't really Bill Oddie. And more and more, as particularly I think series three goes on, you see Bill Oddie's natural character actually Start come, come out more. And, and Bill becomes to the fore a little bit more as well. I, I found that in the previous two seasons, sometimes he was in the background a little bit and the two more dominant personalities of Tim yep. and Graham sort of outshone him. For me, uh, which which is interesting, because in real life, Graham's the retiring one. Mm. Um, mm, very much so. Yeah. I was just going to say, for me, whether it's a function of the fact that this set of episodes seems, in my mind anyway, to be the ones that were repeated ad nauseum, or it is that this is where the, the, the trio are settled, this really feels like a fresh start for the series, and going mm. forward, this is the goodies that I know. I thought that the first couple of series with the exception of a couple of high-point episodes, like obviously Pirate Radio, Goodies, and, uh, and Kid and Kong, I, I th- there's a lot of middling episodes in that, in that sequence of two series that you know don't really stand out. Mm. And from here on in, you, this is the series that I know and loved when I was a boy. I think they're just starting to hit their stride. Which is not to say there hasn't been a lot of good no, stuff. No, that's right. And, and exactly as uh, Rob said, you know, you, you do get some... When, when they're high, they're really high. You know, you've got those pinnacles of radio goodies and Kit and Kong and a couple of others. But you've got some 
stinkers as well. You have. I mean, Tim, in, in saying that they thought that, that overall they weren't particularly happy with Series 3, Tim, I think it was Tim, made the point that, that a series like The Goodies is really on a knife edge all the time. Because if you fail, you really fail. Yeah. Um, you produce an absolute turkey. Yeah. And here, I think, Series 3, it's just that lull before they really go stratospheric. You know, that really rise, you know, going, going to Season 4 and beyond, mm. which we'll get to in several weeks' time. That's where, you know, you're hard-pressed to find a clunker. Yeah, but what I'm looking out for in Series 3 having watched a few of the episodes that we're coming up to discuss in the next few weeks, is even when there's a, a weaker episode, they're going to get a lot better, I think, at just throwing in a lot of random gags that means that even if the episode isn't working as well, there's always a laugh line somewhere. Hmm, and they're, be- they're, they're, they're better at doing that, I think, in Series 3. But then, as you say, Series 4, they really take off. All right, well, we've got a lot to talk about in Series 3. Uh, we hope that you'll stay with us to talk about that. Next week, we'll be back with Hunting Pink. Mm-hmm. And if you need a horse to join us on that hunt, maybe you'll find one in the Black Forest. You've been listening to the Goodies Pirate Podcast, the Australian podcast that puts the good in goodies. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, please do leave us a review on iTunes. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode or your thoughts on upcoming episodes. So please drop us a line by email at pirategoodiespc at gmail.com. Send us a tweet at at pirategoodiespc or find us on Facebook at facebook.com stroke pirategoodiespc. Goodies, goody, goody, yum, yum. just a cow. <laughs> Honestly, you city folk getting all nervous and edgy the minute you hear the sounds of the countryside. Once you get used to it, you'll be quite happy. It isn't a cow, is it? <laughs>